Hello, everyone. We have the football. The football has happened. It has occurred. After months and months and months of talking about it, of postulating, of predicting, of assuming X or Y or Z was going to happen, we have some actual on-field results. In this show, which I will say, it's not the flagship show, but it's the flagship of what I do here during the season, which is dig into the grading, the numbers, to tell you not only what happened, but what may have happened a little bit differently than what our assumptions were, what happened that might be a little bit less likely to happen in the future, might be a little bit less stable, what are the things that are more stable? And the key component of that, the key component of what I'm going to talk about today when we review this game is my adjusted scores. So before we get into all that, though, I'll go through the methodology of the adjusted scores. I'll go through everything that's built into it, all the different metrics that you should be paying attention to. But I will say now, congratulations, Bills fans, because even if you were excited about the possibilities of what could happen this season, looking up, seeing the Bills as the Super Bowl favorites, seeing Josh Allen as the MVP favorite, there had to be at least some trepidation because of everything going right essentially offensively in the playoffs last year and still being shown the door by the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round. This maybe doesn't allay all those concerns, but could things have gone any better for the Bills in week one? I'm not sure they could have. There were some unlucky things that happened. The reason why it was a tie game early, the reason why it was within one touchdown for three quarters here. There were some unlucky things that were happening for the Bills. But the underlying fundamentals of what we saw was 100% Super Bowl level. What we'll have to figure out going forward, and this is going to be one of the big themes when discussing what went on during this game, is how much of this is about the Bills really being who we thought they were, being that good of a team or even better, or do we have to start putting out the warning flag for the Rams? And the Rams are going to have 10 days now before facing the Falcons to hem, to haw, to wonder about whether this was a one-year blip for them. Is Matthew Stafford back to being the Matthew Stafford who was a, let's say, top 15-ish sort of quarterback rather than the guy who led the NFL in expected points added per play last season? Is the team getting too old? Is missing out on all those first-round picks? Finally come back to get them? This is what you're going to hear over and over and over and over again. I, as usual, in my measured form, will try to temper too much negativity or enthusiasm in either directions. But I will say, this was a game. 
that there should be negativity and enthusiasm in two different directions here because of underlying what we saw in the numbers. Okay, before I get into everything numbers-wise here, let me explain the fundamental big picture part of what I do here on these review shows. So we collect, obviously, a ton of information when it comes to grading, play-by-play, but then also how often teams are you know, pressured, how quick the pressures come, what sort of um, – what sort of uh, defensive coverages do we have? How often is someone being blitzed? So all that is part of, of this analysis, and I'll go through s- some of those numbers. But looking at the advanced statistical side of it, expected points added is the fundamental metric. And for those who aren't familiar with it, I'll just say really quickly, expected points added means on any particular play, you can figure out how many points you expect, basically the offense to score based upon field position, down in distance. Then the play happens. They're in a new position, which is either in a better or worse position than they were before in their probability of scoring. And then you have a new amount of points. You're assuming they're going to score on that drive based upon their new position. And on that play, you say you added so many expected points. So we do that for every single play. And by doing that, we can get a universal metric denominated in points to compare everything here. So I'm going to have the expected points added numbers when it comes to rushing and design runs for these teams when it comes to passing, dropping back the pass, how well they did there when it comes to turnovers, which some of them will mitigate against like the drop that turned into an interception for Josh Allen. I'll, you know, adjust that in there penalties, third down and fourth down conversions, which are hugely important and high leverage in these sorts of games. All of that comes into it to come up to what I call an adjusted score. So there's the actual score of the game. So in this matchup, of course, it was 31 to 10 that the Bills ended up winning, putting on 14 points in the end. So you might say, oh, you know, it was within seven points. They they put on some some points at the end. If you're looking purely at at the scoreboard, tied up by seven in the end of third quarter, 14 points at the end, sounds like a fairly close game. Well, the adjusted score, what it does is, it accounts for all of these different factors like turnovers that weren't turnover worthy plays like some outlier type of plays on offense or defense. And it says, what is the adjusted score? What should we actually have seen here? And if you look at the adjusted score here, it's much higher for the bills than what we actually saw because of the fumbles. They lost about 10 expected points on fumbles. They lost another 10 expected points on interceptions. And one of those two interceptions was not really Josh Allen's fault. So the expected adjusted score that we have here for the Bills was 41 to 12 for the Rams. The Rams also, you know, had some issues with turnovers that while mostly Stafford's fault, you know, there's a luck factor involved in in some of that too. So even I think the, the adjusted score does its job here. It shows it being even more of a real true blowout than what the real score was. So a massive, massive win for the Bills. Uh, let's go through the particulars here. Um, if you look at pass rate over expectation, and the expectation is based upon the score differential at every time, of course, the the more that you're winning by, 
the less often you'd expect to pass. So the Bills were about 13% over expectation, passing the ball 68% of the time. The Rams were only 3% over expectation at 76% of the time because they were down so much that you were expecting them to pass a lot in this game. So they passed more, but yet versus expectation, not necessarily that much more. Okay, total EPA per play. And I'm going to talk about some of this stuff in a percentile basis. So again, we're looking at on a play-by-play basis, and that's what we care about in football, is on a play-by-play basis, how much are you adding in value? Again, I'm going to look at this on a percentile basis. The Rams offense was in the seventh percentile. The Bills offense was in the 97th percentile in this game. Big, big numbers for the Bills right here. And when we break down the different layers of the game here, I don't know what the Rams are going to do about running the ball. Cam Akers famously didn't play a lot, didn't gain yards really at all when he got the ball. But it's not just a Cam Akers issue. If you look at the Rams, they were 30th last season in their expected points added per designed run. In the playoffs, they were even worse. Maybe some of that was Cam Akers coming back and not having any juice, but overall the team just cannot run the ball. And that continued in this game. Their success rate running the ball was in the sixth percentile. Their EPA per per play running the ball was in the 20th percentile. So they did have a couple of longer runs from Daryl Henderson, which helped them there, but still a really tough, tough outing here. They did not pass it nearly enough they kind of wasted what which was was a almost wasted a great Stafford performance in the playoffs last year by running it and losing so much value in this game Stafford also wasn't good but man the running struggles for the Rams continue this season and again it's not just a Cam Akers thing they were 30th last year doing this the Bills on the other hand were about the 60th percentile in their run success rate and their run percentage And when you look at the Bills running game, which I I thought was interesting here is maybe this leans a little bit into my, you know, running backs don't matter type of philosophy here is that James Cook, who they spent the second round pick on, who they supposedly, you know, really coveted. They went after J.D. McKissick in the offseason to look for someone who could who could receive the ball well. But, you know, Cook fumbled on his first play, didn't play for a while. Devin Singletary averaged six yards a carry on eight carries. Moss only two and a half yards a carry, but still he was doing some of the the shorter yardage stuff. And then Josh Allen, more importantly, on a few design runs, including a touchdown, had huge, huge value that he was adding there on the ground. But again, it goes back to Cook. Like, I love what the Bills have done. Maybe just be a little bit negative here. Sorry, Bills fans. I know you're you're loving. Like, why even spend that second round pick on James Cook when you have Singletary and Moss already? But anyway, let's let, let's get by that. Uh, we'll see what happens if Cook gets more involved in, in the future. Can't hurt. Can't hurt there. Okay, so let's go further into drop back, and this is when there's a huge, huge differentiation is how how good these teams were passing the ball. The Rams were not awful when it came to their success rate. They were about a 40% success rate on their dropbacks, which, you know, isn't, isn't horrible. But if you look at their EPA per dropback, it was down in the 10th percentile because they lost about 17 points for those different interceptions that they had. Massively negative interceptions there. The Bills through the roof here for Josh Allen. And these numbers that I'm, that I'm talking about here for the Bills, 
include the interception, which was a drop. Now I'm going to adjust that back out later. They still, they include the interception, which was a drop. 99th percentile for dropback success rate. Uh, 93rd percentile, and this is when you see the the decline based upon the EPA for the interception that shouldn't have counted. 93rd percentile for EPA per play. Huge numbers here for Josh Allen. And if you look at the Bills overall, that first number that I stated here, that their adjusted score was 41, 41.4, technically, points here. If you look at all 8,600 games where I've done the adjusted scores since 2006, this rates in the top 100 games. So one of the best games that we've seen offensively from, from anyone here. But it wasn't just the offense, and that's why I think people are really going to get you know, hot and bothered in Bill's Mafia thinking about what they did here because defensively, they either blitzed zero or one time, depending upon which number you're looking at. Some of the numbers I'm looking at said they didn't blitz. One of the numbers saying that they blitzed once, but they basically did not blitz in this game at all. They just brought pressure with the front four, yet their pressure rate was 43%. Stafford was under pressure 43% of the time, which is a high number, would have led the NFL last year if it continued over for an entire season. They are also were getting fast pressures about 20% of the time. And I, I define a fast pressure as a pressure that comes in less than 2.5 seconds. Now, that isn't the highest number, but again, they weren't blitzing. So if you have coverage, and they were playing nickel the entire time, they were playing with five defensive backs the entire time. If you're using five defensive backs, if you're not blitzing, if you're stopping the run game, you are going to get massive pressure rates. And you had Vaughn Miller and Jordan Phillips playing so well there. So this is something to get really, really excited about. Whether they'll they'll hit the same formula going forward, maybe this is more like a Rams counterattack to not blitz, to put the coverage back there, to sit back in coverage, not let Stafford throw the ball down the field. Maybe this was more of a Rams thing, but man, that is a really successful formula for any team. If you can not blitz, you can get a 20% fast pressure rate, and then you can get a 40-ish percent pressure rate. That's going to be very, very successful for anyone going forward. On the flip side of things, the Rams blitzed Josh Allen about a quarter of the time. A quarter of the time, they got fast pressure. So that, again, in 2.5 seconds or less. Um, and that was a lot of all of their pressures. They only had a 32% total pressure rate, and 26% of them were coming very, very fast. But the thing is, Josh Allen got rid of the ball super fast. You saw some of these numbers last night during the broadcast. But his time to throw, and this includes when he's scrambling around, and he scrambled five different times during the game. So that number can get pumped up by the scrambling. His time to throw last night, Josh Allen, was 2.3 seconds. His time to throw last season was 2.9 seconds. So that's a massive difference there. He was getting the ball out so quickly that he could actually mitigate all of that fast pressure, all of the blitz rate that the Rams were able to bring. And that's when you also get some big plays on the other side that we saw eventually for, for the Bills. Okay, let's let's talk about something that was extremely successful for the Bills, but not sustainable going forward. It's not bad. It'll just regress some. You're just not going to have these like all-star super performances all the time. And the one thing you could point to for the Bills as something that's going to regress a little bit is the late down success. And I believe it was all third downs here for the Bills. They were 9 of 11 on third downs. They converted... 
if you look at the expected conversions versus actual conversions, and I do expected conversions based upon down, distance, I mean, down, I guess third down, but based upon distance and field position, they converted four more first downs than you would have expected based upon those situations. And there were some monster plays on these third downs because the expected points that they generated on third down was almost 23 expected points. And just to give you a little context on what we're talking about here, all of last season on third down, the Bills were a successful team on third down, the top eight team on third down last year. All last season, they generated 33.3 points, expected points, so points over what you would have expected on third downs last season. Through all 17 games and those playoff games where they completely destroyed, right? 33 points. They did 22, 23 points just in this one game today. So obviously that's not sustainable. Um, The Chiefs were the number one team last year in third down EPA over expectation um, with around 100 on the season. So the Bills are already a quarter of the way there. They're a quarter of a way to the entire league leading number as far as outperforming on third third downs to what the Chiefs had last season. Now, some of that is sustainable. Josh Allen's a stud. He's always been good on third downs, but you're not necessarily going to get, you know, some of the big, big plays that we saw, whether it was the first touchdown to Gabe Davis, whether it was the last touchdown to um, Stephon Diggs. You're not necessarily going to get all of that going forward. Again, just tempering a little bit of enthusiasm. That's all. Um, you know, the bills last year, they converted about a 5% higher rate on third down than you would have expected in this game. They were 35% higher than you would have expected. It's one game. It's positive. Just putting that in context for, for what ended up happening on this game, how massive the third down play was from Josh Allen. Okay. Let's look at the quarterbacks real fast. Josh Allen MVP. If he was the favorite to be the MVP, now he's the super favorite to be the MVP here, even despite some of the optics, where you're going to have the TD INT worshipers, the, you know, the worst, well, not the worst, but one of the worst stats that you can pull out there is people would say like, oh, look, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he has a, a 20 touchdowns to every interception. Yeah. Back in, you know, 2018, it's like, yeah, but they're losing games. So throw some interceptions, buddy. Um, but anyway, for Josh Allen, for this one, and again, this includes the interception that should not have counted here because of a drop he averaged 0.44 epa per play context on that aaron Rodgers won the mvp with the highest epa per play last season at a little bit over 0.2 so more than double josh allen was more than double like an mvp level of play in this game plus had the interception that really was not his fault was not a turnover worthy play in our numbers and to go further into this, everything that Allen did here, he added about six points scrambling, massive scrambling uh, EPA here, uh, highly successful in play action. And I think that's one thing where they they got rid of the ball quickly. So the play action rate was fairly low because of that, but they were very successful doing it. And before something that Dable was given a lot of credit for, although I think he might probably was given too much credit for was this maturation of Josh Allen. I mean, Dable was there during his first couple of seasons where Allen struggled also. And Dorsey coming in here, maybe we'll all be heaping praise upon Dorsey now, but he 
maybe doesn't need to be as great as we're thinking because Josh Allen is just playing at that sort of level. Even with a 15% play action rate, he did as well as he did here. Even with blitz coming 25% of the time, he did as well as he did here. Even with having to get rid of the ball in 2.3, 2.4 seconds, he did as well as he did here. And his average depth of target, and this is with some bombs that he threw in this game. Remember, he had the, the deep pass to Gabriel Davis with not a touchdown, but a deep pass to Gabriel Davis on a third down, and he had the bomb to Stephon Diggs. So even with those big passes, his average depth of target was 7.4 yards, which is much lower, about a yard and a half lower than what we saw from him last season, playing a different style of game, adjusting to what the Rams are doing really, really well. Uh, On the flip side of things, for Stafford, remember, they didn't blitz, and Stafford's dot was only 6.2 yards, so that's paltry. That would have been like Ben Roethlisberger type of numbers um, from what we saw. And it wasn't like Stafford was holding on to the ball too long. 2.6 seconds as far as how often he was holding on to the ball. Yet he was sacked. And again, this is when you're talking about this pressure from the front four. He was sacked seven times. Lost 50 yards on those sacks. Um, a couple of other things to, to think about. Again, I talked about how the Bills played nickel defense the entire time. I thought Tredavious White being out of this game might be a little problematic because we didn't know how the, um, you know, we didn't know how the first round pick Elam was going to be able to play on the back end. We didn't know how all the pieces were going to come together on this team. So again, they play nickel every single play. And basically what they did was they had Milano and Tremaine Edmonds as their two linebackers. They played basically every single play. Then Teron Johnson and Dane Jackson, these are, again, not talking about necessarily household names here on the back end. They were there for every single play. And then, you know, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, that's the strength of what they've had defensively. They were also in for every single play. So those guys were basically in every single play. And then they rotated the third cornerback between Christian Benford, uh, Kamir Elam, and a couple other snaps with others. They didn't have the greatest coverage grades here. But it didn't really matter because of the fact that they were getting so much pressure with the front four. And it wasn't just Von Miller. Now, maybe there's a Von Miller effect, which ended up filtering out to everyone else on this defense. Because we did see better than expected performance from some guys who had been there a while. I mean, A.J. Epinesa got got four pressures in this game where he hadn't done necessarily a whole lot in his career. Rousseau had a few pressures, you know, as a guy who's entering his second season here, but not, not great here. The real guy who shined in addition to Vaughn Miller was Jordan Phillips. And remember Jordan Phillips was a bill. He left to go to the Cardinals in 2020. He got a three year, 30 million contract. Then he, now he's coming back. I think he's only earning like $5 million. So this is going to be a massive win for them if Phillips continues to play this way because he was the highest graded player for his uh, his pass rush grade. He had a 90 pass rush grade, six pressures, two sacks, an additional hit in three hurries that he had in this one. His win rate was over 25%. So that was a number that's even a little bit better than what we saw for Von Miller. Now, Miller obviously made some huge impact for what he was doing, what he was doing coming off the edge. But Phillips was also there. He's the key, I think, 
bringing him in along with Vaughn Miller, if they're going to continue to run this four man zero blitz front against certain teams. And remember, this is kind of like the blueprint. What they did against Stafford is the blueprint against the top level quarterbacks here. The top level guys like Stafford last season, not necessarily always Patrick Mahomes, um, Joe Burrow, extremely good against the blitz. These are all guys where teams went into this, cover two shells into the deeper zone defense, not just to stop the long deep passes, but also as part of not blitzing as much as having more underneath guys in coverage too, as not blitzing because of how those explosive plays, those quarterbacks were able to generate were killing people. Well, this formula that we saw against the Rams for the bills, they can apply this to the Kansas city chiefs. They can apply this to the Cincinnati Bengals if they're playing them in the playoffs. Now, we need everyone to stay healthy. It's a long season going ahead, but a very, very positive sign, like the exact blueprint of what you want. And then we throw Tredavious White into the mix later on for what we're seeing there. Uh, let's talk about the Rams' pass rush a little bit. I mean, Donald was fantastic. He did get four pressures. He ended up getting a sack. And he also got another, you know, he got a sack and a few hurries in here. But... Allen was somewhat unaffected on these sorts of plays. You know, he did have the sack, so you can't say he was completely unaffected. He was sacked a couple of times, but nothing massively negative there. He lost about two expected points versus about 12 that Stafford lost on all of his different sacks. So Donald did what he had to do, but no one else on the front was able to do much of anything. Greg Gaines had two pressures. Other than that, no one else generated a pressure for the front four for the Rams. Bobby Wagner had a pressure, and then Ernest Jones had a pressure blitzing from a linebacker position, but no one else did. So again, when we're talking about the performance in this game, I think it's going to be a lot of good things for the Bills, but how much is this a potential negative for the Rams is also going to, to play into this a bit here. And we go to the receiving core. Allen Robinson has to be the biggest disappointment. Not necessarily in how he played, because I think it's difficult to get an idea of how he played. Maybe there's an element of Stafford just locking in on Cooper Cup when facing the pressure that he did in this game. I mean, Cup had 16 targets out of a total of 40 targets. So we're getting, you know, stepping up, forget the 30% target rate, which we just, we'd assume is elite. You know, we're, we're up in that 40% uh, target rate here for Cooper Cup. But the question is, was Robinson maybe just not getting as open as you would have liked on some of these plays? And that's why we did not have the numbers there for for Allen Robinson. Two targets, one catch, 12 yards. I do think there's a little bit of an issue potentially with the mix that they have there. It was difficult for Stafford to push the ball down the field again. Nickel defense, lots of zone, an extra defensive back at all times, not blitzing anyone. So it's going to be difficult to push the ball down the field. But I do think the mix of Cup and Robinson, and then so so let's say you have Cup, Robinson, Tyler Higby as your three main guys in there. And then you're going to throw someone else into the mix sometimes. The other players that were throwing into the mix – Skoranek was in there all the time. 44 of the 50 routes he was running. 
So you have those guys are your receivers. Do you have anyone who can really stretch the field or not? Maybe I'm, I'm using, you know, white guy bias against uh, Skronik, but I'm not sure if he is a guy who can push the field. Whereas Van Jefferson being out week one, and maybe this will, you know, resolve itself if he's able to come back in the future. Van Jefferson was that guy who could go down the field. Odell Beckham could go down the field here. The rest of these guys, if they're all playing underneath, it might be a situation where it's just like, I'm just going to go to Cooper Cup rather than go to Robinson or to go to, to someone else here. And that's why he was getting peppered with targets over and over and over again. On the Bill side of things, the Gabe Davis most controversial receiver of the offseason, especially in fantasy football circles, I would say you should be encouraged and discouraged if that's possible, if that's a possibility, if you're like a big Gabe Davis believer. And the reason I say that is encouraged because he's the big play guy and we saw the big plays. But discouraged because we're talking about, in a low volume game, five targets in total for Davis. And the plays, the two the two big plays that he had were the, on third down, the Rams blitzed everyone. He had one-on-one coverage, went down the field, and was able to come up with a, I think it was a 48-yard completion down the field. So again, big play, but more a product of circumstance, a product of an all-out blitz and a one-on-one coverage down the field. And of course, a good throw from Josh Allen, which he's going to hit a lot, but he's not necessarily going to hit every time. The other big play he had, the first touchdown, was a brilliant play call by Dorsey because it was third and about a yard and a half. And you're in that situation. You're Dorsey. You say to yourself, we have this fourth down, right? So when you know you have the fourth down to go for it and a pretty good chance of converting not only on third down with a different type of play, but then also on fourth down, this is how you generate an explosive play without having to face a blitz without having to have a coverage be very aggressive against you. How you generate an explosive play is you say on third and a yard and a half, we're going to line up in a formation, which is going to make them think we're going to run the ball. We're going to bring in an extra tight end. We're going to bring in a fullback. Davis was the only receiver on the field. For the first play, Davis even comes into motion looking like he's going to engage a linebacker in a block, and then it's a play action. And then you have Allen, of course, who can you know roll out with the best of them. He rolls out and hits Davis for that 26-yard touchdown right there. So generating an explosive play. But again, from, from the Davis perspective, like what he can continue to do going forward, he didn't really generate that opportunity. He didn't really generate the opportunity down the field. Um, So if he can continue to do that going forward, maybe, maybe he can, maybe he can't. We're going to see higher volume from the bills going forward. I think we'll learn a little bit more about, about Davis there. Uh, But he did run more routes than anyone else. So we kind of knew he was going to be the number two guy, but he ran a route on every single play. There were uh, single and two wide sets where Stefan Diggs actually wasn't running routes and Davis was. So that was encouraging there. I mean, Diggs is Diggs. You know, stud, one of my favorite guys in the first round, at the end of the first round in fantasy drafts, if anyone was fading him. Um, 
Didn't get up to the 30% target rate, but close eight catches, 122 yards. Of course, he had that touchdown late on a blown coverage by Jalen Ramsey. And then the rest of the guys here, I thought it was interesting to just the mix here. McKenzie had that play where he, you know, dropped the pass, which was then turned into an interception. He still had 21 of the 38 plays. He ran a route where Crowder was down at 12. Crowder was the other guy who was targeted on interception. And I don't know, Crowder seemed like he sat down a little bit too much on that where he could have kept on going, but those guys seem like they're going to have a mix and just be frustrating potentially uh, fantasy going forward. But at least for guys who like McKenzie, he did run a little bit more uh, routes than you would have, than you would have hoped for there. When it comes to pass protection, and this is for the Rams where you're going to have to worry about, it was ugly. Uh, 36 pass blocking grade. David Edwards in particular um, at guard gave up six pressures uh, Joseph Noteboom, who comes in and having to face, you know, RIP, having to face Vaughn Miller, gave up eight pressures. Rob Havistein on the other side, four pressures. Man, it was just ugly. There's everyone there got abused, basically, uh, on the on the offensive line. And I thought the Bills' d- offensive line was going to be a little bit more of a problem coming into this. But really, Ryan Bates, guard Ryan Bates, gave up four pressures. Other than that, everyone did did pretty well. And especially if you look at the guys on the outside, Deion Dawkins, we knew he was pretty good. Spencer Brown was a little bit more of a question mark. Um, Zero pressures for both of those guys. So that's, that's encouraging. But of course, you know, the Rams aren't necessarily, necessarily like the edge rushing type of team where the tackles have to worry as much. Uh, Maybe Brown will have be challenged a little bit more in the future, but for now, you know, it, it is what it is. Um, Just to give one more thing was let's go to coverage here and talk about Jalen Ramsey. I don't think you necessarily have to worry about Ramsey going forward. I mean, he did have the blown coverage. He did give up two touchdowns in his coverage, gave up a hundred yards receiving uh, four first downs. There was, you know, it, w- it wasn't great for him, but it's not, this, this is Jalen Ramsey we're talking about. I'm sure he'll be able to come back and go forward here. Troy Hill, I thought played okay. He had the interception. He had a nice hold. Uh, pass interference on the first drive. And if you think about that, that doesn't even come into the numbers here. Um, another reason why the Bills look so good. I can't remember who he held, but he had a sneaky veteran hold on a third down for the one of the few times that they actually stopped. Uh, uh, they're able to to stop the Bills here in this game. He played okay. Bobby Wagner looked is on washed watch. We're putting Bobby Wagner and middle linebacker on washed watch here. I mean, his coverage grade wasn't awful at 60, but he looked like he was having some some trouble some trouble moving out there. And again, the coverage grades for the Bills weren't that great. But if you can play this defense, you don't need you don't need to be that great in this one. Um, so big picture here, we need to talk about from this game is Bills fans be happy, be excited. You did what you had to do. Congratulations there, Rams fans. Don't get too down in the in the depths of what's going on here. But I do think regression was going to be ripe for Stafford after how he played at a top level last year. And the thing was Stafford's ability to be the top most efficient quarterback in the NFL when including the playoffs last year masked the fact that the Rams could not run the ball. And again, I don't think running matters the most, but if you're going to continue to build your offense on predicated on the play action, on play action, on using the running game a lot as they do in the system. If you can't do it, it's going to be problematic going forward for them. I'm sure Sean McVay will figure things out, get things going going forward. But 
it was basically a blueprint game for the Bills and the flip side for the Rams here, even worse than the score indicated. All right, this is my Thursday wrap-up here. For anyone enjoyed this, I'm going to try to do this after the Monday Night Football games. And, of course, I'll have a more in-depth wrap-up going through all of the weekend's games in the same sort of way. And in particular, it'll point out to you when I'm talking about the adjusted scores, we're not going to be able to watch every game. Not every game is going to be an island game that we're going to see exactly what happened. I think anyone who watched the game last night realizes 31 to 10, you know, 17 to 10 at the end of the third quarter, were not really representative of how well the Bills played and how poorly the Rams played. So when I'm giving you the adjusted scores on Monday for all of the Sunday games that we didn't necessarily see playing and play out, it's going to really help you differentiate between, oh, this team may not have really played as well as we thought, and I'll discuss why, or this team played better than we thought and discussed why, giving us better expectations for what we're going to see in the future going forward. I hope everyone appreciated this. Enjoy the games this weekend. Again, I'll be back at you next week, Monday morning and 9 a.m. to go through all of the week's slate. Enjoy the football, everyone. And, you know, Bills fans, I like to say don't get too high, but you know what? Go ahead and enjoy yourselves. Go ahead and enjoy yourselves. It's a good time to crow right now after that performance on Thursday night. Thank you, everyone. And I'll be talking at everyone on Monday morning. Thanks so much.